So today I want to take the idea or the concept, the last installment of this series, the greatest comeback, and I want to talk to you about after the comeback, after the comeback. And we're going to read our text together today. It's in Matthew chapter 18, verse 26 through 30, and I'm going to read out of the New International Version. And so it should come right there up on your screen, but you can get your Bible out and take notes. I would encourage you to use you version. I'd encourage you to have a journal. We always want to be learning, always want to be developing. I hope that the ministry of Summit Church is not just feeding you, but it's, it's teaching you and training you and encouraging you to feed yourself. That you're growing and developing, not just on Sundays, but every day in the presence of the Lord. So let's look at Matthew chapter 18, verse 26 through 30 in the New International Version. And everybody, let's read it together. And it says this, At this the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him, and he canceled the debt, and he let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And his fellow servant fell to his knees and he begged him and he said, Be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay back the debt. Father, we thank you for your word today, and we thank you that you're so gracious to us. We thank you that you're so good to us. We thank you that you're so uh, uh, just wonderful and, and, and kind to us. And Lord, we, just, we are thankful that when we have setbacks, that you use them as setups for comebacks in our life. We're thankful that there is no circumstances that you can't bring us back from, that there are no sins that are too far that you can't forgive us of them. And Lord, we thank you for that. And now today, we just want to answer the question, Lord, what do we do after you bring us back? What do, you, what do we do after you come through for us? What is the next step for us after the comeback? And Lord, I just pray that this will get down in our spirit, get down in our heart, and that it'll change us today. God, change us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Man, isn't God good? Isn't he good? I'm so thankful to be with you this morning. It's a great day. We read in this text a very interesting story that I, I, I find to be one of the most interesting. And it really points out to us the, the, how, what humanity is really like, what sinful humanity can be like, how arrogant we can be, um, how even vicious we can be, and how we can sometimes lose sight of what God has done for us and in, in the way we treat other people. And uh, it, it's interesting to me that in this story, we find this man who has a great debt. And he has a master that is a, a leader in his life that is so uh, wealthy and responsible for so much. And he has an, a debt that he owes to him that is significant, like in the millions of dollars is, is the way the Bible describes it. And he is not going to be able to pay the debt back. There's absolutely no way he can pay the debt back. Um, and, and his master calls the debt uh, to account. And he says, hey, I, I want my money. 
you haven't paid me. You've been late. I want you to pay me. And he, he says, uh, he says, uh, I, I don't have the money. Please be patient with me. He gets down on his knees. He begs him. I, I don't have the money. I, I, I don't have it. But if you'll be patient over time, I will get this back to you. I promise. I've, I've fallen on hard times. I've been set back. And the, the, the master was so moved with compassion for this servant. He was so moved uh, at, at his plea that he literally just he, 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 his compassion drove him to a place of forgiveness, like total forgiveness. In other words, he didn't just say, Hey, okay, I'll let you work it out. He said, you know what? Don't bother paying me back. I'm just going to release you for that debt. Now I, I don't want to get too into the theology of it yet. I don't want to really get go there yet, but let, let's just take the analogy of what Jesus is teaching us in this story. And he's, he's saying to us, look, you owe a great debt. But I have decided to pay the penalty of that debt so that you can be free. So I'm not just going to be patient with you and let you figure it out and let you come up with it and somehow pay me back. I'm just saying to you, free of charge. It's over. Price has been paid. You don't owe anything. I mean, come on. That is what God has done for us in the crucifixion of Jesus and his resurrection. Boy, if that was just the end of the story, oh man, I wish that was the end of that parable, but it's not. And it's important for us to really grasp the end. Because that same servant, that same person who had just been forgiven of this debt of millions, this debt that was so insurmountable that he didn't know how he would ever pay it, he was not just given patience to work it out. He was forgiven. He was completely debt free he owed nothing simply because the master decided i don't want you to pay it back i have compassion on you i don't want you to be in this situation that same man who just received so much forgiveness who just received so much patience who just received so much compassion is walking down the street and he sees a man a fellow servant who owes him money so interesting so interesting what happens next you see this is coming out of the text where they're talking about forgiveness and peter asked jesus you know because the jews believed that if you were really holy you would forgive somebody three times and so peter trying to seem even uh more holy and more righteous he said how many times should we forgive other people jesus and and Jesus said 70 times seven. He, Peter said seven times. Should we, should we forgive seven times? Because he was trying to really overdo it. And God said, no, 70 times seven. Jesus said. So what he was really saying is all day, every day, in advance, just walk in forgiveness. That's what he was saying. Um, this man, having been forgiven so much, came in contact with another person who owed him. And he didn't owe but tens or hundreds he had just been forgiven of millions yet he was angry with this man who owed him tens or hundreds and the bible says he had got aggressive with him he grabbed him and he choked him and he said you will pay me back and he said if you'll be patient with me he did the very same thing that this man just did to his master and he said if you just be patient with me i will get you this money and he said no you will go to jail until you pay me this money back Every time, every time I read this passage of scripture 
It makes me so infuriated. I get so angry because I think to myself, how dare you? How dare you, having been forgiven of so much, now you're unwilling to forgive a little. Like this man did not owe you near what you owed. And you have been forgiven. You have been released. And now, and now you won't even forgive him a little bit. You won't even forgive him of the small amount that he owes you. No, you're going to have it from him. You're going to make him pay that debt. It makes me so mad. It makes me very angry until I realize I could be that man. Because sometimes we don't get what Jesus did for us. Sometimes we really don't understand. And, 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 and what ultimately happens, you know, in the story is one of the other servants finds out exactly what went on. And they run and tell the master who he owed millions to what he did and how he didn't use that grace the way he should have. And how he didn't even show the same kind of respect and love and compassion that his master did to him. And they told the master and the master had him arrested and put in jail and said, now you will pay back every dime that you owe me. And what this basically is showing is a principle of, of forgiveness and how it's reciprocal in our lives. You know, people try to explain this away, but the fact is Jesus was very clear. He said, if you want to be forgiven by God, there's a reciprocal process that needs to happen. You got to forgive people who've hurt you. It's just the way it works. And as we forgive, he forgives. And it's very important for us to understand this because it is, it, it is, is a matter of fact theologically in our life that if we'll walk in forgiveness, even that 490 times a day forgiveness, you know, that, that, that almost in advance forgiveness. You know what? I've just decided I'm going to walk in grace. And if someone offends me, someone hurts me, someone does something even unintentional or intentionally against me, I'm going to just decide I forgive you. I, I'm letting you go. I'm not holding that to your debt. I'm just going to walk out of this. I'm not. I'm not going to hold my life bound or your life bound because of my inability to do what Jesus did for me. I mean, come on, think about it for a minute. What did Jesus do for you when he forgave your sins? What did he release you from? And now you can't release someone else? I'm telling you, it is. It, it, if we can get this, it is one of the most amazing things that can happen in your Christian experience because God wants you to walk in freedom. And freedom comes when we're able to just let it go. Just let it go. So what I'm really talking about today is when we have setbacks in our life and those setbacks come sometimes because of circumstances in our life, because some failure that happened, because of some issue that happened, or sometimes because of our own sin, because of our own failure. Whatever the setback reason is, God is able through his, through his power, through his might, through his relationship with you, your relationship with him, to bring you back from whatever that devastation was in your life. There is no low that's too low. There is no issue that's too big. There is no sin that's too far that God's power and God's grace cannot relieve you of it and bring you out of it. Absolutely none. Nothing, the Bible says, is impossible with God. The only thing that would preclude him from helping us is our own stubborn will. And if we just submit our will to him and say, God, I want to be in relationship with you. I want what you want for my life. There is literally nothing he can't do in your life. And he literally says in the Old Testament, the Bible says in Psalms that we serve a limitless 
God. In other words, he's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. There is nothing he can't do. There's no power he doesn't have. There's no place he isn't residing. He is absolutely everywhere and he knows everything. You serve that God. And if you're in relationship with him, no matter the circumstances, no matter your failures, no matter your problems, he can reach into that mess and literally pull you out of that pit and put you back on solid ground in a way that will change your life and the lives of people around you. That's who we serve. That's who God is. But when he does that, what then? I want to talk to you today about after the comeback. I've told you many times in this series how much I love stories of comeback. But you know what I've realized as I was thinking about and researching this, I realized something very significant. In all these stories of comeback that we see maybe in movies and things of that nature, most of the time the end of the movie is the, is the climax of the comeback. And you don't really see what happens after the comeback. And you know what I found to be true is a lot of times when people make these great comebacks and they come to this climactic point in their life of, man, God rescued me. God brought me out. God took me to a new place. But then nothing. Then it stops right there. Thank you, God, for doing that in my life. And then it is amazing how many times that life just goes back to that mundane, mediocre, average, insignificant life like it was before that ended up in a problem and a setback that needed to be brought out of. I mean, it's just like the children of Israel. God brought them out of Egyptian bondage, but they couldn't take their promise because they couldn't change their thinking. And that's just the bottom line. An 11-day journey took 40 years. 40 years, an 11-day journey, simply because they couldn't change their thinking. Because they had been brought back. They had they had, had this comeback, but they didn't know what to do after and so today when we look at this story of this great comeback that happens in every one of our lives this great debt we owe to God this debt that he paid through his own son simply because we are sinful we are unrighteous we are unholy we owe him everything yet he has forgiven us and set us free from that debt now think about that And all he's asking for us is that after the comeback, we do something great with our lives. You see, there's something so powerful about the opportunity of a comeback. When we get set back, it feels like our opportunity's gone. That's what it feels like every time. Maybe our dreams have been crushed. Maybe a relationship is lost. Maybe there's been a financial crisis or even worse, a spiritual crisis. And and, and it happens and we feel like It's fatal and final. I mean, I don't know if you've lived long enough to really feel this, and really you don't have to live very long to feel this, but I have had setbacks in my life that literally felt like it's over. I've literally felt like, man, there's no hope. There's nowhere to go from here. I'm done. And, 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 And that's really what these kind of setbacks and failures and inconsistencies and problems and issues that happen in our life You know, I know that you, just like me, there were moments in the last year and a half or two years that we have felt like, is anything ever going to be the same again? It's over. And you know what? Every time I'd have a moment like that, I could feel the Holy Spirit just raising up and resonating with my heart and saying, oh, nothing's over. This is just the beginning of another opportunity for God to show himself true and real to us. But then when the chance to rally comes, 
and we take that chance, then that setback becomes that setup for that comeback. You know, when God turns our setback into a setup for a comeback, there's always a reason he's doing it. Now, don't get me wrong. God loves you. And the reason he's bringing you back is not because uh, uh, just to prove a point, but it's because he loves you. And I'm not going to minimize that. God will do that for you because he loves you. But God never does things just because he loves you. He also has a purpose for you. And that's why he loves you. And that's why he's bringing you back out of those circumstances. So every time we have a comeback in our life, there's a purpose behind it. And not just the specific purpose of reviving us or renewing us or saving us or changing us, but more general purpose of real change and real power and real opportunity for significant things to happen in our lives. Um, you know, a few years ago, I was just talking to some friends about this just not long ago, and few years ago, I had been in a really hard church. I, I, was a, I was pastoring at a very young age. Some of you have probably heard me uh, have some recollections of this season in my life. But I want to I share it with you. I, I went through a really hard time in a church. And as a result of that uh, three-year stint in ministry, we had some successes and, and we had some hardships and difficulties. And I was really worn out. I was only 25, 26 at the time. But I already felt like, man, I have been beaten up in ministry. And I was feeling so low. And a friend of mine offered me an opportunity to come and just be an associate in his church and kind of, you know, get, get restored and renewed, but at the same time, give them some help with things they needed. And that process we went to, and then to be honest, that funding ran out and the pastor was going to take a hit and he was going to say, Hey, look, I'll, I'm going to come, I'm going to back up on my salary so we can continue to pay you because we want you to stay. And, and, and having a, a dad that was a pastor and knowing the circumstances of how that works, I just said, no, I can't do that. I just can't do it. I don't feel right about it. And in the process, I made a move. And, and we went out and planted a church. And unfortunately, we were connected in, with some people that weren't honest, uh, that, that said they were going to support us, and they didn't support us the way they said they were going to. And it became a very difficult circumstance and, and, and a real opportunity for me to evaluate myself and evaluate ministry and evaluate what I was really supposed to be doing. And, and in that process, it was painful, man. I mean, I'm telling you, it was painful. It felt like a loss. I came out of that experience, literally. I went into another season of ministry. But in the process of that experience, I'm telling you right now, I'm telling you right now, I, that I questioned my purpose. I questioned the future. I questioned whether I should have even been in ministry. I, I questioned, did I put myself in ministry? Or God, did you really call me in ministry? I, I, feel, I feel like giving up. I feel like I could just go do something else. I, I feel like, and every time I'd have those thoughts, they were real to me and they would resonate with me, but then a deep conviction would come up in my soul and say, don't you walk away from what I've called you to. And I, I would feel that, but it didn't change the loss that I felt. It didn't change the, uh, the, the, the devastation of failure. That's all I could hear in my ears. You failed. It didn't work. You failed. You're supposed to be an up-and-comer. You're supposed to be a, a leader. You're supposed to be someone who gets things done. And here you are. You can't achieve this. You can't accomplish this. And a really good friend of mine at the time told me something that changed my life. And he said, listen, just because you have a failing doesn't make you a failure. It just means now you have another opportunity. And 
it helped me to understand that. But I'm going to tell you, I was in a low place. You know, we didn't, we didn't know what to do. And we needed to come back bad. I don't know if you've ever experienced this in a career or you experienced this in a relationship or in your finances where everything just went exactly the opposite of what you expected it to do. And, and it just feels so devastatingly wrong. And it feels like somehow you are the bad person and somehow you can't get it done. And somehow you're, and, and you, you have a hard time seeing into the future of like, am I ever going to be able to accomplish anything? Am I ever going to amount to anything? Is anything I do? And here's what we did. We just went to prayer. We listened to God. We got in his word. We got some counselors around us, started listening to some right voices. And we just made some decisions that we were not going to allow this to defeat us. We were not going to allow this to take us down, that this was not fatal. It was not final, that we were called and purposed to do this. And when we made that surrender, when we made that decision that we were not going to give up, I'm telling you, everything changed. And it launched Janae and I into a future of purpose and destiny that has impacted and affected thousands literally of people around locally and regionally and nationally and even globally and we never saw it we never knew it we never thought it could happen but now 30 years down the track I'm like wow look what God has done but in that moment I felt like there's no way we're ever going to do anything great and God took our comeback and because we surrendered to his will, he parlayed it into a purposeful connection to destiny that has affected not only our lives, but the lives of so many other people. Amen. And it's so powerful to think about that. But there's nothing different between me and you in that sense at all. You've gone through some hardships, some of them brought on by your own behavior, just like mine, some of them brought on because of circumstances. Some of them brought up on because of failings. But the truth is, God can always bring you a comeback. And the question is, what are you going to do with the comeback? What are you going to do with it? You know, God makes us stewards over every situation. And, and, and the idea of the comeback isn't just for the comeback itself. You know, the, the idea for the comeback isn't just to win the prize at the end of the comeback. The idea for the comeback is I'm bringing you back into a place of purpose, into a place of destiny so that I can use your life to advance the kingdom of God. That's the whole purpose of the comeback. So if you've got your eyes right now on the hope of that comeback, we are going to arise from the ashes. We are going to come out of this problem. We are, our business is going to survive and it is going to prosper. Our family is going to make it. You've got that on your mind. You need to just stop for a minute and not just think about the prize of the comeback, but what are you going to do when it happens? And what are you going to take up as the banner of responsibility that God has given you for the reason for the comeback to begin with? You know, there's a, there's a person in the Bible that I totally dig. I totally get, I, I totally understand. And, and, and he's, he, you know, you would think that I have, a, I have a lot of favorite historical figures out of the Bible. Uh, you, you'd think, because my name is David, that my favorite would be David. My favorite really isn't David. I love David. I think David was amazing. And I think he was a, one of the greatest leaders that ever lived. Probably the greatest leader ever lived, to be honest, if you really go and study his life. But he's not my favorite because, the, because there's another guy that just, 
I just admire so much. Now, it may sound funny that I'm talking like that, but see, I don't look at the Bible characters as some story of some narrative of some uh, person that was made up. No, I look and understand that these were historical figures. These were people who are now in heaven awaiting us as we get there. We're going to get to talk to them and connect with them. And, 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 and this guy, man, he just, he, for me, he's it in terms of leadership and connection and attitude and right thinking. And his name was Joseph. Joseph was an incredible guy. Uh, he was just an incredible leader. I mean, Joseph's comeback for him specifically was a reward of his faithfulness and fruitfulness. But the overarching purpose of, the, uh, of, of Joseph's comeback was the provision for the Egyptian people and for the Israelite people. That was the reason his comeback was so important. Well, what's different between Joseph and you and Joseph and me? Do you think that God hasn't given you a circle of influence? Do you think God hasn't given me a circle of influence? Come on. Why would God bring you back? Not just for your personal reward, but so that he could use you for the purpose of an overarching goal to affect the circle of influence that surrounds you. You have something to contribute to the lives around you that are so powerful and so awesome and so important. And you got to come back if for no other reason than those people need you to come back. Those people need you to have victory. Those people need you to ha stop having this attitude of, I just can't make it and I'm not going to go. No, there are people around you that God has put you in that position so that you can lift them and encourage them and introduce them to him and his purpose for their life. You know, Joseph was a great young man. And you look in the scriptures in Genesis chapter 37, verse 18 through 20 in the NIV, it says this, but they saw him in the distance and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Now, can I just tell you, if you read that, if you read that in that context, just like that, here's what you would think. You would think that there was a little army or a little enemy that had gathered and they thought this man, Joseph, was a bad person and they were going to attack him and destroy him. You wouldn't think, unless you understood the full context, that those weren't enemies talking about him. Those were his brothers, his own family. This is Joseph and what he was dealing with. He was a young man. His father doted on him because he was the son of his old age and he loved him very much and he cared about him and, and he gave him special presents. And so the brothers were already jealous of him. They're already mad about him. They couldn't stand to see him coming. And then he had a dream. God gave him a vision. It wasn't Joseph's fault that God gave him a vision. Now, whether or not he was arrogant about that vision, we don't know. We understand that young people sometimes are zealous and they could speak out of turn but the truth is there's nothing in joseph's life that we can derive arrogance from he just is the exact opposite of arrogance in every circumstance we read about but he told his family because he was excited you know what i've learned about having visions and dreams from god and purpose you got to be careful who you tell it to because some people say they're for you but they're not really for you some people will say they're for you but if they can't celebrate with you then they're jealous of you come on somebody you need to know who's around you and you need to know who you're supposed to tell and, and be careful about telling things to people that, that that aren't ready to hear it 
And Joseph said, hey, I had a dream last night and there were 12 stalks of wheat and they all bowed to my stock of wheat. And, and then he told his mom and dad, I, I, had, I had a dream last night and there were 12 stars and all these stars bowed to my star and, and the moon and the sun bowed to my star. And they were like, are you... Are, are, are you saying that we're going to bow down to you, Joseph? I mean, I mean, this is not the way things worked in the Hebrew culture. This was not the way things worked in their family. And they were all put off by this. So much so that the brothers began to devise plans to destroy him. His father sent him out to see them, to give them some supplies. And when he got out there, they set him back. Now, there's nothing like having a vision or having a dream and then having it attacked and put on hold. There's nothing worse than the frustration of knowing you have a purpose and you have a destiny and then some enemy or circumstance or situation just absolutely attacking you right straight, punching you in the mouth and saying, it's not going to happen. And man, that happened in the biggest way to Joseph. And here's what happened to him. Here's the succession of events in Joseph's life. The brothers decided they would kill him and throw him in a pit. But Reuben, an older brother, said, we're not going to do that. Number one, because he didn't want to kill him. And number two, he didn't want to, to create a scenario where they become murderers. And so he told the brothers, this is stupid. Let's not do it. And he couldn't think of anything else. So he just said, let's just take blood, kill an animal, take blood, put it on his clothes, throw him in a pit, sell him to slavery, and then just tell dad he died. And that way he's out of our life, but we don't murder him. It's the only thing he could think of to, to keep Joseph from being killed. So that's what his brothers did. I want you to think about this for a minute. Not, not his enemies, not his neighbors, not people who knew him uh, from a distance, but his very own brothers. Murdered an animal, killed an animal, took the blood, put it on his clothes, and sold him into Egyptian slavery sold him sold him that would be the equivalent today of your family taking you to the nearest human trafficker they could find and saying we don't want them anymore take them and do what you want to that is the that is the reality of what happened to that 17 year old boy he wasn't 30 he was 17 all he had was a dream why is he being punished for his dream and so they sold his own listen I could be sold by a lot of people, but my own family, I could, that would, it would be more devastating that my family did that to me than I was actually sold to begin with. It, that, that they could think so low of me, so less of me, value me so little. And sometimes that's how it feels when you're set back. It feels like even the people closest to you don't get you. It feels like they, they don't value you. It feels like you're not worth anything to them. You cannot allow that to overtake you or overwhelm you. Remember what the principle is here. If God brings us back, what are we going to do? How are we going to steward the comeback? So they sold him. Have you ever felt like someone else or some other circumstances were calling the shots in your life? I mean, here's a 17-year-old. He sees his life in front of him, but he ends up being dictated to by other people. Have you ever felt like that? Matter of fact, some of you, I bet, feel right now that you're not acting on life, but that life is acting on you. You feel like you're not making any decisions of your own. Your circumstances are making all the decisions, or your setback is making all the decisions, or your emotions are making all the decisions, or other people who are making decisions that affect you are making all the decisions. And that's how Joseph must have felt. 
And then, and then as he was sold, he went into Potiphar's house and he was sold into Potiphar's house, who was one of the greatest leaders in Egypt. And he just did what he felt like he was supposed to do. He used his gifts, his talents, his abilities, and he was empowered and how he was empowered by those things. God blessed it. God favored it. And he blessed Pharaoh, uh, Potiphar's house. And so Potiphar elevated him to the highest position. But then Potiphar's wife was sweet on Joseph and thought that, that Joseph was a good-looking young man and she wanted basically to just have relations with him. She wanted to have sexual relationship with him and she tried to seduce him. But Joseph was a godly young man. He hadn't forgot his upbringing. He hadn't forgotten the call of God on his life and he refused. But when he refused, he ran from her. She grabbed his coat and she had his coat. So then she accused him. She accused him of doing something he never did. And they took that young man who had already been sold in slavery and they put him in prison for something he didn't do. Have you ever been blamed for something you weren't responsible for? Have you ever felt the setback of that? Have you ever felt the betrayal of that? Have you ever felt the injustice of that? And then thirdly, one of the worst things that ever happened to Joseph, and, and honestly, I'm going to be honest, it's one of the worst things that ever can happen to us. Joseph went to the prison and again, he used his gifts, he used his talents, he kept his eye on that vision, he kept the right attitude, God blessed what he did, and he became the ruler of the prison. He became the administrator of the prison. I mean, who does that? You're the prisoner, and you've been accused by one of the most important people in Egypt, yet you're ruling the prison because the favor of God's on your life because you have found your gift, your purpose, your destiny, and you use it. And when you use it, it elevates you. And when you're elevated, then you're given opportunity. And that's exactly what happened to him. Here he is a prisoner and he's running the jail. It's an amazing thing to think about. But it still didn't change the fact that he was a prisoner and he wasn't in control of his own life and he didn't, he wasn't running his own life. That feels so horrible. And then he interpreted a dream for two men and both of these men had influence. He, and, and, and he interpreted a dream and, and, and he said, when you get placed back in your position to the one man, he said, when you get placed back into the position, he asked him to do one thing. Don't forget me. Tell people that I have been accused falsely. Tell people that I'm in here. Tell people that I have purpose. Tell people that I matter. Tell people that there's value in my life. Just tell somebody to get me out of here. And this is all he asked after doing this divine thing for this person and and this person goes back and is reinstated into their position in Pharaoh's household. And the Bible says they forgot all about Joseph. Have you ever felt like you were completely forgotten about? You know, it's one thing to feel forgotten by people. I've, I've gone through moments of that. I remember in that process of failing at that church plant. I remember losing certain people to ministry opportunities and feeling so aggravated at God. Did you forget me? I mean, I'm just trying to do your work. Have you forgotten that I'm here? Have you ever felt that way that the people have forgotten you and your loved ones have forgotten you or man, I'm really speaking to somebody right now. I, I don't, I don't, I'm just sense the Holy spirit. There's somebody watching this church online right now. You're a part of this church online right now in this moment. And, 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 and you feel forgotten. Like you literally feel like nobody remembers that you're worth something. 
that nobody remembers that you have something to offer. But let me tell you something, that is not true. God has not forgotten you. People have not forgotten you. And even though your emotions can make you feel like you have been forgotten and isolation can make you feel like you've been forgotten, I'm telling you right now, God has not forgotten you. And I've told this story many times, but I'll tell it again just to remind you and when I was going through that season, I was really questioning whether I was even supposed to be a pastor or not. And I was in a worship experience and I was praising God and worshiping God. And I was saying to myself in my head, God, am I really called to this? Am I really supposed to be a pastor? Maybe there's something else you want me to do. I was so in doubt. And a man from the front row, when we started greeting one another after the praise and worship, I didn't even know him. He didn't even know me. He walked up to me. He shook my hand and he said, hello, pastor. He said, hello, pastor. And I said, do you know me? And he said, no. But he said, I was standing on that front row worshiping God. And he just told me, when you greet, I want you to go to that guy, the two rows behind you. And I want you just to look him in the face and I want you to call him pastor. Now, you tell me God's forgotten you. And in that moment, it wasn't that he called me pastor that meant so much. It was the fact that God remembered me, that God had not forgotten me, that some man who didn't even know me, God spoke to him about me and sent him to tell me, listen, don't ever think God has forgotten you. I am being sent right now to tell you, you are not forgotten. Joseph did one very significant thing. He knew his purpose and he kept his dream. You know, Joseph's comeback was amazing. Scripture tells us in Genesis chapter 41, verse 41 through 43. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. You know the story. He was brought into Pharaoh's house. He interpreted a dream for Pharaoh. It was the plan to save Egypt from starvation and all the surrounding areas from starvation. So, so Pharaoh then says to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. And he dressed him in robes of fine linen. And he put a gold chain around his neck. And he made him ride in a chariot as his second in command. And people shouted before him, make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Listen, uh, the first thing that happened in Joseph's comeback is he went directly from the prison to the palace. Now, I just want to know, I want you to know when you're in the process of this setback, you need to understand it may seem like the process is taking a long time, but when it's time, it will change overnight. It will, you will think it's never going to happen. And then all of a sudden, this is why you have so immediately in the book of Mark, so many times it uses the word immediately. There was always a process before the immediately, but when God gets involved, and change happens it feels like it happens immediately because when God says it that's it it's spoken it's done it's changed and he went out of a prison into being the second in command of the entire nation of Egypt his comeback was unbelievable the second thing he used his comeback to make a difference he knew his comeback had great meaning more meaning than just him coming back I fear that sometimes we live in such a selfish society that we, even in our theology, even in our spirituality, we think of God in the sense of everything he does is just for me. If he's doing it for me, it's only for me. But can I just tell you, God always has a specific uh, a, a reason and purpose for you to do that. But more than that, he has a general purpose to use you. And that's why he's brought you back. 
Number three, he was specifically validated by his comeback. In other words, God validated him. He said, you were faithful to me. You used your gifts. You used your calling. You used your purpose to become what I wanted you to do. And I'm going to reward you as a result. Let me tell you, that's the way God works. If you'll just stay in tune with him, if you'll just allow him to align your life with his purpose, I'm telling you, he will validate you. He will bring you back. And the fourth thing is, though, he was generally purposed to save his nation. You see, God doesn't always want to bring you back. He wants to bring everybody back with you that's around you. You know, he could have easily become comfortable with his comeback. And to be honest, I think that's what a lot of us do. I think a lot of us, we get comfortable with our comeback. In other words, we get over the circumstances, we come back from the problem, we get back in a place of feeling like right standing, our life is working well again, our relationships are working well, I don't feel defeated anymore, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it, and we get this feeling, and then we get comfortable with the comeback. And when we get comfortable with the comeback, the next thing that happens, we get complacent with the comeback. Don't let complacency kill your comeback. Use your comeback to make a difference. And how do we do that? How do we make our comeback count? If God is saying, I'm going to hold you responsible and I'm going to give you the opportunity to use the comeback that I have done in your life to affect the lives of other people, I want you to be a good steward over that comeback, then it is up, uh, incumbent upon us that we do that and that we don't hold back, but that we use our comeback to make a difference in the lives of others. Don't get comfortable in your comeback so that you become complacent in your comeback. Sometimes we allow the comfort of not having to deal with the trouble anymore or the problem anymore, or the issue anymore, or the circumstance anymore to cause us to get so comfortable. But now we're only thinking of ourselves. I've seen so many people fall right back into a setback simply because they allowed their comeback to be comfortable and they became complacent with their spiritual life and responsibility. So how do we make a comeback count then? Well, number one is don't waste time with revenge and retribution. Don't do it. It's like the story, the parable that we read at the beginning of this message. You've been forgiven. God tells us because we've been forgiven, we forgive others. And he doesn't just tell us to forgive others, but he tells us to forgive others like he forgave us. So completely forgive, completely release, completely let it go. Don't waste time with revenge or retribution. Scripture tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 19, you know, Joseph could have revenge. He could have had revenge. He had the power to be vengeful. He had the power to get back at his brothers for all the evil and wickedness that they did. But his perspective was, you meant this for evil, God meant it for good. And so I'm going to love you and I'm going to forgive you. I hold nothing against you. Oh, I don't know if I can do that. All the things that they did for Joseph or did against Joseph, all the damage, all the hurt, all the talk, all the action, all the everything that isolated him from his family, isolated him from his comfort, isolated him from his purpose, it seemed like. But what they really did is put him right in the pocket for purpose. And he realized that and recognized that. And he just chose to forgive. There is no sense in wasting time with revenge. There's no sense in wasting time with retribution. Because if you waste time with revenge or retribution, it's only going to end in regret. The Bible tells us in Romans 12, 19, do not make revenge 
Or do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. You need to understand, get out of God's way. God knows how to deal with stuff. God knows how to take care of things. If there's an injustice, God knows how to judge it. You move out of the way. You love everybody. You forgive everybody as Christ has done for you. And your life will be filled with grace and goodness. Number two, if you want to use your comeback well, then know the purpose of your comeback and do it. Again, this is why we do our growth track. The scripture in Philippians, it says two, in Philippians 2.13, it says this, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. We need to understand God has a purpose for us. God has a purpose for giving us victory in life. God has a purpose for everything that happens to us. He can use everything. He may have not sent everything that happens in your life, but he can use everything that happens in your life to develop you and use you for the purpose of his kingdom. And that's what our growth track is about. It's about learning who you are, learning what God's purpose is, learning how you fit in the context of that purpose. Listen, God has purpose for you. And if God brings you back from your sin and he brings you back from a failure, if he brings you back from a circumstance, it's not just so you'll be back on top. It's so that you'll use that position of victory to change the lives of somebody else, to make a difference in someone else's life, to make a difference in somebody else's situation know the purpose of your comeback and number three let the past hurts the past pains the past offenses go (laughs) let them go and show the mercy that you've been shown god will take care of the rest scripture is luke chapter 17 verse 4 it says this if even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, forgive them. Listen to what's that saying. If they, if a singular person sins against you directly seven times in one day and then they come back every time and say, I'm sorry, I won't do it again. What are you supposed to do? Forgive them. Many of us, when someone does something to us and then they ask for forgiveness, we say, I'll forgive you. But if you do it again, that's it. (laughs) I mean, how many times do we think like that? I'm not taking it again. I'm putting up with it. No, you've been forgiven greatly. Are you going to forgive greatly? You've been brought back. You've had a massive comeback from whatever the problem is. Are you going to use that comeback to make a difference in someone else's life? What do you do after the comeback? You don't just celebrate the comeback. You use the comeback to bring somebody else back. So what do you do after your comeback? You make a difference by adding value to someone else's life. I just want to challenge you today, church. And as I have researched this series and studied for this message, it has challenged me. Because God has brought me back from so many things and so many situations And I think generally all of us have been brought back over the last year in a sense. And the question is, are we going to make our comeback count? Or are we going to go back to life as normal? Are we going to go back to just mediocre spirituality? Are we going to go back to uh, 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 trying to get, get God to bless what we're doing instead of saying, God, what is your will for my life so that I can walk in your blessing? Make your comeback count by submitting to the purpose of God for your life and then battle, 
against the setbacks of other people. You know, one thing about having a setback is it gives you perspective and it gives you insight about others. And when you see them going through something, you can have compassion and empathy. You know what you would think would have happened with this man who had been forgiven so much is that he would have learned from the model of his master to then show that same kind of grace to his fellow servant. Unfortunately, he didn't. But fortunately, we can. Whose life around you are you looking at and saying, man, we need to spread the joy to them? Whose life is in a setback that you can help with a comeback? You know, I've found it to be true that God always is available to give us a great comeback. But I've also found it to be true that he always uses his people to help you make that comeback. You know, last week we talked about Barnabas. Who are you going to be a Barnabas for this week? Who are you going to be a Barnabas for? God's brought you back. What are you going to do with it? God brought you back from that financial oppressive situation. What are you going to do with it? God brought you back from that relational devastation. What are you going to do with it? God brought you back from that feeling of failure, from that guilt and sin and shame. And the only question on the table today is what do you do after the comeback? What are you going to do? What are we going to do? Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your word today. It has stirred my heart. You've brought me back so many times and for, from so many situations that it would be impossible to articulate the praise and thanksgiving that I have for you and do it justice. There's just no way. You've just been too good to me. I can't even describe it. I am overwhelmed with emotion this morning as I think about all the times and all the ways and all the situations that you've repeatedly shown up in my life. And I commit to you today, God, that I'm going to use that. I'm going to use the comebacks that you've given me to help people who are set back to discover it's just a setup for their comeback. And I'm not going to waste what you've given me. And I'm going to use it for your kingdom and for your purpose. I thank you for the honor that you've given me, the reward that you've given me for being faithful with the vision. But Lord, I also am going to honor the overarching principle of why you brought me back to affect and impact the lives of other people. And I hope and pray that I never take that for granted in Jesus' name. The question this morning is, I have three things I want to just make an altar call for. Number one, are you ready to make your comeback count? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to simply put this around one issue. Because I think it's a first step in making your, com your comeback count. And that is, are you ready to forgive? 
in this church online experience with all the people that are watching, I can guarantee you there are people right now that are listening to the words coming out of my mouth that are holding bitterness or contention against someone else because of offense or hurt or pain. We live in a world right now that is almost all offense. And we're all carrying it around on our sleeves. And I'm not speaking something to you that I haven't gone through myself. But the question is, are you ready to make your comeback count? And the first step to that is forgive. Let it go. Let the pain, the hurt, the offense go. What is it doing for you except harming you? I heard someone say one time, and I believe it to be true, that when we refuse to forgive, it's like taking poison and expecting the other person to die. Unforgiveness is not going to harm the person that you're mad at or upset with or offended at. It's only going to destroy you. And it's going to put this block between you and your relationship with God. Let it go. It's not worth it. And, and for all of us who have let things go, now just ask God to help us to pre-forgive. I mean, that sounds weird, but come on, let's have an attitude or spirit of forgiveness that we walk in that says, you know what? I'm not holding anything to anyone's account. Now, we're not going to get into all the things that that means doesn't mean you have to be best friends with people. doesn't mean you have to put up with abuse. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is you don't have to hold unforgiveness about it. You can let it go. Take the first step to making your comeback count. Let it go. Don't hold it to their debt anymore. You've been forgiven. Now release forgiveness. And the second two calls I want to make is just do you have a relationship with Jesus? And if you don't, I want to pray with you today. Or do you need to rededicate your life to Christ because you've let things come between you and Him and you're doing your own thing and you know you're not right with God? If you're in any one of these situations, I want to pray with you today. And I'm going to say a prayer and I want you to pray it with me and pray it after me. And if you'll mean it sincerely in your heart, God will meet you where you're at. I really believe that. You have to mean it. You have to be sincere about it. But, but beyond that, I want you to dial that number. I want you to text that number. Text NEXT, the number one, all one word, NEXT1 to 94090. And we're going to help you along this spiritual journey. We're going to commit to pray for you. We're going to commit to walk you through the situation of growing spiritually and getting over the things that are holding you back. Helping you find your purpose and your destiny and your future. So let's pray. If you're in any of those situations, pray with me and then you can dial, text that number. Just pray this after me. Father God, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I ask you to forgive me in my sins. I ask you to help me use my comeback to make a difference. Help me to make my comeback count. I release anyone who I hold offense against. I forgive those who've hurt me. I forgive those who harm me. I turn from my ways and I turn to your ways, Lord. Come into my life, Jesus. Forgive me. Make me a new creation. I believe that you are the Son of God, Jesus. 
I believe, Jesus, you died for my sins. I believe you rose again from the dead. I receive your grace. I receive your goodness. And I commit to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Man, I'm so excited about people who made that decision this morning. Please text that number. Please let us follow up with you. We want to help you find your place in the kingdom of God and live that life that's victorious, making your comeback count. God bless you. Amen.